Thank you. Well, good morning. Am I on? Good morning. I'm David Blythe, and I'll be your guest speaker today. I went to Fina First Pastors College and have a degree too. I'm a licensed minister of the Assemblies of God. Excuse me, ordained, right, Chris? Yeah, we, the right reverend, that's what it is. I am so happy to be back with you this morning. You have no idea. If you are new here, uh, I have been on a, what's called a sabbatical over the last month. And if you don't know what a sabbatical is, it's really, a, it's described like this. It's a time for a pastor to get away, to rest, recharge, pursue God away from his ministry responsibilities. In a nutshell, it's about trying to keep your pastor healthy emotionally, mentally, and especially spiritually. And it was a great month. And it was a great time away. And I got to do a lot of things. Uh, from a couple of home projects that I love doing. Home projects are very therapeutic for me to be able to use my hands and construct or build something. Uh, Lisa and I went kayaking for the first time. Uh, we, actually, we actually went twice. We went kayaking twice, so much so that I'm looking on Craigslist for used kayaks now. Uh, we took a trip to Napa. I took a trip to T Lake Tahoe, did some reading. I slept more than I'm used to sleeping. I got to do things at my own time, in my own time, and, and at my own pace, and it was all weird and wonderful at the same time. And I do feel like I am returning to you healthier than when I left, and I am thankful to God for that. And I'd like to begin by offering some thanks, first of all, to our church board who recognized the need as well as the benefits of a sabbatical. You see, uh, and, and offering it to me. You don't just take a sabbatical. It has to be offered to you by the church board, and I am thankful that your board offered it to me. I also want to thank my dedicated staff, our faithful ministry leaders, and our members of our church board, all who picked up the slack while I was away, I'm also thankful to Pastor Chris, Daryl, uh, Abe, Darren, and Cal, who all came in and shared the Word of God with you over the last five Sundays. And I also want to thank all of you for not just allowing me to go on this sabbatical, but encouraging me to do so, and also praying for me while I was away. I am a blessed man indeed, and one of my greatest blessings is all of you. One of the things that I came to realize while I was away is, is just how much love and encouragement that I receive from all of you. And being absent from you showed me how the pastor slash church member relationship goes both ways. What I mean by that is when some of you come up to me and tell me what a blessing I have been to you, please understand what a blessing all of you are to me and I'm glad to be back with you. Let me just say that a sabbatical is an unusual thing because it is so opposite of what your normal daily duties and responsibilities looks like and, and, and feels like. You've got time on your hands that you don't normally have, and you have no responsibilities to keep you occupied, and I'm telling you, it is just downright weird. <laughs> Truthfully, the whole time away, was a bit unusual for me, and yet it was a great blessing, and I'm thankful for it. 
But with all the additional time on my hands, it made me begin to think about a lot of things and really how my life, at least for 30 days, was literally changed overnight. And it affected the kind of things I said. So I wanna to begin today by offering you my top 10 list. And it is the top 10 things spoken by me, your pastor, while on sabbatical. Number 10, this sleeping till 7 a.m. is totally awesome. <laughs> Number nine, so this is what it feels like not wearing a jacket to church on Sunday. <laughs> Number eight, I wonder what's going on at High Point. <laughs> Number seven, honey, I need to make another run to Home Depot. Number six, this is so weird, I feel like a man with no purpose. Number five, retirement is overrated. I don't think I'm ready for this yet. I didn't put that in there so you would respond that way. I thought it was funny, but thank you. Number four, I wonder what's going on at High Point. Number three, honey, you wanna to drive to Reading for dinner tonight? Number two, Lisa, what day of the week is it anyway? And the number one thing spoken by your pastor while on sabbatical, I wonder what's going on at High Point. The truth is I never stopped thinking about you or this place. And I discovered how deeply connected I am to my church family. And I need you all to know how much I love this family and what a privilege it is to serve as your pastor. Thank you for all of your love and support that you have given to me and my family over the last 10 years. And please know that I am looking forward to the next 10. That is, should you want to keep me around that long. So as I thought about what I would share with you today, I was reminded of my days in elementary school, because often when you go back to school in the fall, the teacher will ask you to do a paper titled, What I Did on My Summer Vacation. And so today I've decided to present to you things I learned on sabbatical. And there were many of them. Some were very subtle, others came through like a hammer. The first one that sticks out in my mind is, is quite simple, and yet it doesn't easily get through this thick skull of mine. You see, this place called High Point, and my position as a senior pastor, is such a large part of, of who I am. But during my sabbatical, I was reminded of something that I sometimes forget, and here's number one. I am a child of God, before I'm a pastor. My primary identity is in Christ Jesus and not in my ministry role. You see, as pastors, there's a risk of viewing ourselves primarily in terms of what God has called us to do, serving in full-time ministry. But this past month, I learned that this church can survive without me. <laughs> Not that I didn't know that before, I did, but it was healthy for me to actually step away for a month. And when I showed back up this week, guess what? The church was still here. 
and so are you. But with the weekly demands that come along with ministry, it is attempting, it is tempting, excuse me, to assume that things will fall apart without your oversight and without your attention. But it didn't because this church is the body of Christ. It is, and, and God controls it, not me. And he will, say, he will see this place through no matter what, just like he has always done through nearly your 100-year history. My job is to continue to seek God in my personal life and continue to grow as a child of God and to learn to produce the fruit of the Spirit in all of the things that I say and all of the things that I do. And one of the most important fruits that I must develop and continue to develop in my life as your pastor is joy. David wrote in Psalm 63, 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So by me knowing the almighty creator of the universe through a relationship that has been provided to me by the lavish grace of Jesus' atoning work, well, that must be so precious to me that, that I rejoice in it at all times, whether my ministry efforts or labors are going well or not whether there is success or failure, whether there is much or little fruit being produced, my hope and joy must be in the God whom I belong. And my commitment to you for the next 10 years here in my ministry here at High Point Assembly is to be joyful. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Please understand that my desire is to be a very strong and healthy child of God first, which in, in turn will make me a great pastor for you. The second thing I learned while on sabbatical, we must rest. And there are two types of rest that we all need, physical and spiritual. The physical is obvious. You've got to get the right amount of sleep if you plan on doing anything well. And yet how many of us break this crucial truth of life by depriving our bodies of the rest that we need? God showed us during the creation of the world just how important rest is. In Genesis 2, verses one through three, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because in it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I think this makes clear to us that if a supernatural God needs rest, then we as mere human beings certainly need rest. And I know that you believe you are Superman or you are Superwoman and you can just skirt this truth, but you're wrong. You've got to rest. I'm reminded of the 23rd Psalm in verse two, where it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Here's the deal. Either you can discipline yourself to rest or God will make you rest. He will make you lie down in green pastures, and it may not be what you thought 
it was going to be. It may be through a health issue. It may be through really being messed up emotionally, but he will make you lie down in those green pastures because if he doesn't, you'll eventually burn out. Sleep deprivation has caused more accidents and tragedies than anything else in the world. Don't be one of those statistics. But by but bringing it down to even a more basic level, when you are unrested, truthfully, you are not your best at anything you're doing. And guess what? This holds true in our spiritual life as well. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus provides us a gracious invitation to all who, are labor, to all who labor and who are weary and burdened. And that, that weariness and those burdens, they are the, the troubles of life. And they are the sins of our own human nature. So by coming to Jesus for forgiveness and help and by committing our lives to him and by obeying his direction through his word, what we find is freedom and we find relief. And yes, we find rest from the heaviness of this life. We also receive peace and we receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads us through our days and he provides us with the strength that you and I need to deal with all the cares and the difficulties that we're carrying around with us. Someone once said rest is overrated, but nothing could be, tr- could be further from the truth. You need to find rest for your physical body and you need to find time to come to Jesus and receive rest from your weariness and from your burdens. And that scripture leads me to the next thing I learned on my sabbatical. Number three, we must find time to be in God's presence. In order for the Lord to give me or anyone the spiritual rest that we need, we must go to him. James 4.8 tells us, come near to God and he will come near to you. Do you understand that this requires action on your part? As you lean into God, he leans into you. We have this tendency to walk around and do all that we do within our own strength, but there's not just rest to be found in the Lord, there's also strength. The rest comes from being in his presence. It also comes from knowing who you are in Christ Jesus, knowing that God is continually doling out his love and his mercy and his grace upon you. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 31, 19 through 20 How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. See, it doesn't matter what's going on in this world, and it doesn't matter what people think. When you take refuge in God, you discover what he thinks about you. And to put it very simply, ladies and gentlemen, he's crazy about you. 
So why would you not want to be in the presence of the very one who loves you unconditionally and who bestows his love and his grace and his mercy upon you moment by moment? One of the worst things that we can do as followers of Christ is to only be with God or lean into him on Sunday mornings when we're in this place. We gotta find time to talk with him in prayer, present our questions, our needs, our difficulties, and yes, present our praise to him for all the good things that he has done for us. He is the only one that can help you in this life. So you gotta find time for him. You've gotta find time to dwell in his presence. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why do we do this? Because Acts 17, 28 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. So find time to be in God's presence. There's something else I was reminded of on my sabbatical. Number four, God still speaks through his written word. In the Pentecostal movement, people often want a word spoken over them. And don't get me wrong, a true prophetic word can be real and, and it is powerful. But do you realize that God still speaks through his written word? The Bible is deeper and richer than probably we will ever fully understand. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11 tells us, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. One of the things I found to be beneficial during my sabbatical was to slow down and have some unhurried time reading God's word. Key word there is unhurried, because I'm hurried all the time, and I'm sure you are as well. I was talking with the local pastors that I pray with this past Wednesday morning, and I was sharing how that often as pastors, when we read the scriptures, we're thinking to ourselves, man, that'll preach. That's a good word. Can't wait to share it with my church family. We're always thinking about how to share a truth discovered in God's word with our congregation when the truth is it is for us. His promises are for me. Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Believe me when I tell you I can be simple at times and not at all in a good way. And so I need greater understanding too. And God's written word offers that for me. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As men and women of God, we need to be taught and rebuked occasionally. We need to be corrected. 
And we also need to be trained because all of that thoroughly equips us not just for good works, as that scripture says, but for whatever kinds of things that life is throwing at us. In addition, daily, we get stained by all the filth of this world. And please understand, living in our society is hazardous to our mental, emotional, and spiritual health because the ways of this world run in complete contradiction to God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and I love this part of it. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, of your heart, of my heart. God's word will always reveal to us the true condition of our heart. And this is so important because I believe when I tell you that your, believe me, when I tell you that your worldview can be so significantly altered and polluted by this world that you live in day after day. So when you find no time to read or study God's word, how will you ever know how bad you've been polluted? And furthermore, how will you know how to correct or to unpollute your mind? During my sabbatical, I broke open a new study Bible that's been sitting in my house for quite some time. Finally read it. It comes from a Pentecostal perspective. And as I was reading the scriptures and the commentaries, I was, it greatly blessed me. I was reminded again that all of those promises that I was reading weren't for some sermon I was preparing because I wasn't preparing any sermons the month of July. I was reminded that the promises that I was reading uh, weren't just for you, my church family, but those promises were personal. They were for me. And I was blessed by what I read because my focus at those moments were on me and God spoke to me through his written word in many little different ways. And I want to encourage you to find some time to get into your Bible. If you need to get a daily devotion book in order to do that, do it. Because every devotion I've ever read starts with a scripture, and I think that will probably encourage you to continue to read on and to, to discover more truth that you can apply to your life. So let God speak to you through his written word. Make his promises personal to you and be blessed by it. Because 2 Corinthians 7 1 says this, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Well, here's another thing I learned while on sabbatical. Number five, we must connect with our church family. While away, Lisa and I attended other churches, and when we showed up, nobody knew who we were other than in some cases, the senior pastor. We'd come into the building and a greeter would, would greet us, say hello, and he would direct us to the sanctuary. And because I always like to be early to places, we sat there waiting for the service to start. And I can't tell you how few people ever acknowledged our presence, let alone a smile or an introduction or a welcome or a, hey, hey are, are you new here? Listen, I knew we weren't potential members for that church. I mean, I'm, pa I'm a pastor of a church on a sabbatical, but they didn't know that. And I was saddened for those churches in, that how, in how that new, unconnected people 
like me at that time, was simply being overlooked. And, if, and of course, I have a church, but if I didn't have a church, I probably wouldn't go back to those places. And it reminded me once again of how wonderful my church family is and how gracious I see you be with visitors. And let me just say this morning, if by chance you are one who is not gracious with our visitors, I'm calling you out this morning. Do you know how much courage it takes for an unchurched person to walk through these doors on a Sunday? It is huge. They fret about it all week long. They're chewing their fingernails before they come here because they think we're a bunch of judgmental, better than them kind of people. That's the mindset of the unchurched. So we need to acknowledge their effort that they came in through these doors and make them feel welcome, which in turn will make them glad that they took the time to come here. Let me make this as clear as I know how to you. You have my permission. You, you have my permission to get up out of your seat and welcome anybody new that has come through these doors. Introduce yourself. Tell them that your name and that you are glad they are here. Take the time to thank them. Treat them how you would like to be treated. If we, every one of us, were consistent at doing this, we'd be known as the friendliest church in the entire world. But then I got to thinking about those who attend High Point, who come in sometimes after the worship music has started, and who exit before the closing prayer. And it's okay to come here and attend our worship service and leave before the closing prayer. But I'm telling you something, if this describes you, when you do that, you are really missing out. You're missing out on one of the greatest blessings of being a part of the local church, personal relationships with other believers. Our nature is that we crave belonging, we crave community and wanting to be a part of something. It's our human nature. But how exactly do we find that? The truth is we find it in each other. We, we need to trust and we need to rely and we need to depend on one another. God gave us each other to walk alongside, to encourage and to spur one another on in love. We are to carry each other's burdens. We are to carry or, and take care of each other's practical needs. We are to warn each other of sin, and we are to rejoice in our victories together. When you become a believer, there is an automatic response that, that you will um, want to join a church. Why is that? Well, first, to continue to be taught in your faith, but secondly, to join a fellowship of believers. And please understand, the second one is equally as important as the first one. Life is so much better when we do it together and with others. We accomplish more when we share our burdens and when we share our celebrations. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will feel, fulfill the law of Christ. You need others. You need them to encourage you. You need them to help. You need their support in all things, physical, emotional, and spiritual. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. 
Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Romans 12, 5, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. What I am telling you is the body will never be complete nor will you, my friend, until you choose to become a part. By letting people know who you are and by you getting to know others. And when you do this, you will find friendship and you will find encouragement and yes, accountability. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalms 27, 17. This says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That is accountability. How many times have you ever had doubts? How many times have you ever been tempted? How many times have you just wanted to throw up your hands and quit? How many times have you needed biblical clarity on a situation that was going on in your life? Well, when you engage yourself in the church, into the body of Christ, you will find help and encouragement, and most importantly, you will find accountability. And I don't know of a single person who doesn't need those things in their life. I know I'm spending a lot of time talking about this getting connected point, but please allow me to share you something very personal about this. I want you to remember that the idea of a sabbatical is for the pastor to completely disconnect, not just from my ministerial responsibilities, but to step away from attending and communicating altogether. And of course, I told you that we had visited other churches while we were away. Allow me to share what disconnection from you felt like for me. It was terrible. That was the weird part, the hard part of the sabbatical. For an entire month, I did not have that connection. A couple people cheated. <laughs> Anthony reached out to me one day and said, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I miss you. And I said, I miss you too, Anthony. And we, we held on a little conversation. Dave Ledford, vice chairman of our board, re had to reach out. He wanted to be, me to be aware of something. He said, I realized I just broke the rule. I said, Dave, you broke code 17345 of the sabbatical <laughs> thing. Can't believe you do that to me. But I absolve you. But when I didn't have that connection with you guys... I realized how essentially important it was to my personal life. When you, when you don't have that connection, you, that's when you really start to understand how important it is to you. And you, my friends, desperately need it. If you are going to thrive in your Christian journey, you need that connection. So if you're living life out there on the fringe, You've got to get plugged into something here other than our Sunday morning worship service. You, you, you've got to uh, get plugged into something smaller within this church. If you don't really know anyone around here by name or have no one to go to with a struggle to get some perspective on, you, my friend, you, you're missing out. Someone once asked me, Pastor David, how do I get connected? Well, the simple way to get connected is to get involved in a sub-ministry here at our church. Get part of one of our small groups. It'll be starting up here very quickly. Get involved in our women's ministry, our men's ministry. Celebrate recovery on Thursday nights. 
our young adult ministry, or Friday nights, our young adult ministry on Thursday nights. We have youth, everybody's showing up all at the same time. We have a youth ministry for your, for your children. We have a classic adult ministry for, for, for our older adults, our more mature, I want to call them adults. We have our discipleship classes. It can help you understand the word of God more. It can go on for literally years. You can be a part of them or come and be a part of our sports ministry. We have volleyball uh, around here. We have basketball. We have softball leagues. A second way to get plugged in is to serve in some capacity. We need a lot of people around here to help keep this place running smoothly. And when you make a commitment to use your gifts and your talents and, and yes, your time, to serve within the body of Christ, you will be working shoulder to shoulder with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and they too are looking for connection. And this is where you can find connection. I've heard people say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And you know what? That is a true statement, but let me tell you something that's equally as true. You will never thrive without the church. I happen to believe the local church is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And when done the way that Jesus intended, it is a blessing to those who are a part. And do you know that the church is the bride of Christ? So how can you love Jesus and not love his bride that you're supposed to be a part of? And I feel like I also at this point need to say something to those who have yet to come back since COVID. I'm looking in the camera at you. You're watching us online and I'm thrilled with that and we love you and we miss you, but you have never come back through these doors. Come back to your church family. Amen. We need you. You need that connection. Let me say it again. Without the church, you will not thrive in your Christian walk. And Jesus knew this. That's why the scriptures are, are replete with this concept of gathering together as the family of God. So if you're not connected, I beg of you to make the effort to start. You'll be glad you did. It will make all the difference in your Christian walk. Here's another thing I learned while on sabbatical, and it's very personal to me. Number six, we must prioritize our relationships the value of our relationships are determined by or revealed and determined by the time that you invest in them. And being your pastor, as you can imagine, I have a lot of relationships in a church this size. There are many people reaching out to me for help, for different needs and questions. They're seeking direction and they're looking to their pastor to minister to them. And in addition, just keeping up with all the business aspects of this church is a lot of work. And there are times when I give of myself so much and I talk and I counsel that at the end of the day, there isn't much fuel left in my tank. And I too am tired. But even before this sabbatical started, God had been challenging me. And he was showing me that there are many times that my wife Lisa only gets a part of me, bits and pieces, but not all of me because my mind is often elsewhere. And I'm always thinking about the next sermon and the next service. I'm often thinking about the prayer requests or difficult conversation that needs to take place. It's a common condition that those of us in ministry find ourselves in and what it creates 
is you being there physically. It means that you're taking up space. While actually, your level of attention, your level of engagement, it's fractional. One of the things that I've One of the things that I've always felt like I did a good job at was establishing boundaries in my ministry. What I mean by that is I haven't and I will not get caught into the trap of counseling people after hours every day of the week, taking essential time away from my family. Let me give you an example. I was dealing with a couple who was struggling with their marriage and they wanted to counsel with me and when I asked them when they would be available, they said to me, anytime after six o'clock. And that's when I said, well, that's when my family time begins. And they said, well, we, we can't just miss work. To which I said, if you needed to see a doctor, you'd take time off of work. If you had a legal problem and you needed to see an attorney or if you had a financial problem and you needed to see an accountant, you'd take time off of work. Now, as I see it, I told them, your marriage is more important than all of these things. So if you need to take time off of work in order to fix it, I can't think of a more worthwhile venture. In addition, being with you after hours isn't good for my marriage. Because I learned a long time ago that if I work harder at helping you in your marriage or to help you through your difficulties, more than you do, we're all wasting our time. So those are the boundaries that I work by. And I feel like I've done a good job doing this for my family's health. I think it has been very important. Otherwise, I would be gone and doing something all of the time. But can you see, as I have, that boundaries are one thing while being fully present is something totally different. When you and I are at home physically, but our minds are elsewhere, you are only giving yourself a part of who you are to the people who you love the most. So I have realized, and you need to realize, that being there with full attention and interest and concern is essential. Because if those people who you love feel like there are more important ventures or problems or individuals than they, it will only create distance. And then what happens is your presence at home becomes nothing more than you filling up space. And by the way, this isn't just for me. This is for every man and woman in this place. So during my sabbatical, I worked at serving Lisa and giving her my full attention and presence. You see, she didn't have a sabbatical. She has a career. She works full time. She took some days off for us to go some places and do some things, but she didn't have a sabbatical. So don't ask my wife and my daughter, how was your sabbatical? Because <laughs> she didn't have one. 
But I was determined that I was going to serve her and I was going to invest in her and it's not necessary to bore you with any details, but I believe if you ask Lisa, and we haven't had this conversation, this is the first she's heard of this and that's by on purpose. I believe if you ask Lisa, she would tell you that she noticed a difference. I pray that she did anyway because I tried. In fact, she said to me Tuesday morning, I need to talk to the board about this because I'm going to miss my house husband. <laughs> but I made a personal commitment to myself and I now make it publicly to you, Lisa. Even though I won't be at home every time like I was when you get out of work, the times that we're together, I'm going to give you all of me. You deserve that. You deserve that, and too many times you haven't got that. See, none of the relationships in our life are more important than those relationships that we have with our spouses and our children. And so we need to give them our very best. As followers of Christ, we, we need to re represent this to a world that is watching and is looking for answers. We need to set the example in our relationships, showing what healthy relationships look like. So truly love your husband and love your wife and show it in tangible ways by offering them the fullness of who you are when you're with them. My desire is to fulfill that scripture found in Ephesians 5, 25, where it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, <clears throat> but holy and blameless. I guess what I'm saying is I don't ever wanna be the reason or the cause whereby what I have or have not done for Lisa would prevent her from being presented as radiant without stain or wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. And this need not be, just be my desire, but the desire of every spouse in this place. Amen. Amen. Last thing I wanna share with you concerning what I learned on sabbatical, number seven. Jesus must be the main thing. Life has so many ways of diverting our attention from what is really important. There are so many distractions that take our eyes away from serving the Lord and putting the focus on things that are far less important. Many of those things are our careers, our money, our relationships, our toys that we have or that we have yet to buy. None of those are wrong in and of themselves, but they become wrong whenever we put them ahead of God. And I believe that this is an issue within the modern day church of Jesus Christ. We've taken on the world's approach and the world's passions and the world's desires. I, our priorities are messed up and they're out of order. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness 
and all these things will be given to you as well. What that verse to me means is those who follow Christ are urged to seek above, above all else God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And that verb seek means continually absorbed in search of something or making a consistent effort to obtain something. And what I'm trying to say is God's kingdom and righteousness are not passive matters. Instead, they are things we must be actively pursuing. We can never allow our own desires to get in the way of what God wants to do in our personal lives or what God wants to do in this church. In that scripture, when it says, seek God's kingdom first, what does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? Well, let me share Matthew 13, 44 through 46 with you. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What I'm trying to show you is the mindset that we need to develop as followers of Jesus Christ. We've got to begin to view our salvation and the ultimate promise of our heavenly home as the priceless treasure that it is. And we need to do that, not only in the way that we approach our daily life, but find so much value in it that we can no longer stay silent about it. And maybe you were hoping on my sabbatical that I would soften my approach about telling you that you need to share your faith with others. But I hate to tell you this, it did not change. It was only more reinforced by God because the time is short, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to get about doing our father's business. Let me share one more story with you. I told you we visited other churches and I heard some great messages preached, but I left grieving over something there were not opportunities given to people to make a decision about Jesus or even an explanation for what that looked like. One pastor preached a great sermon and he said, and my prayer today is that you will find this Jesus and turn your life over to him. And then he closed a prayer without saying anything about that. And I thought that what if you didn't know about salvation? How in the world am I supposed to find this Jesus that you've been praying that I will find? And I was saddened by several men who, who have a calling on their life to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who so casually tell stories about Jesus, but do not offer people an opportunity to receive salvation, let alone explain what that means, let alone explain what that looks like. I think you know how important that is to me. That's why we almost always have altar calls here at this church. And if we don't, I explain what it means to receive Jesus and how to pray to receive Jesus. And I'm never going to apologize for that. And you can count on it being continued that way in this church. But while I was grieving over all of this, God showed me that it is no different in our personal relationships. I know I'm always asking you to share your faith, but I've discovered I need to follow up 
by urging you to ask them after you've shared their faith if they want to make a commitment to Jesus. I come from a sales and marketing background, and I was taught that you present the features and the benefits of your product. And that is similar to preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, of sharing your faith. But then you need to close the sale. You need to ask, would you like to buy this? Would you like to act upon this? We've got to offer opportunities continually in all of our ministries in this church and in our lives personally for people to cross that line of faith and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. There comes a time when there is no more talking left to be done. It's time for action. Let's always give people an opportunity to act. Give them an opportunity to make the best decision of their life, an eternal decision, I might add. Let's be people who cannot contain the joy that we have by knowing and being in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And let make, let's make our Christian walk so appealing to others that they will be dying to have what it is that you possess. Those are seven things that came through to me loud and clear while I was away on sabbatical. When you have time on your hands like I did, God finally has the space to deal with you and he did with me on several fronts. My purpose in sharing them with you this morning is so I won't have to tell you my story 10,000 times. <laughs> but also, more importantly, because these things are universal to every one of us. Every one of us can relate with every one of those seven things that I've shared this morning. And my prayer is that, like me, you will take them to heart and learn from them. But most importantly, that you will begin to apply them to your own personal life. Well, this being the first Sunday of the month, we're gonna take communion together. We're gonna follow point number seven and make Jesus the main thing for the next 10 minutes. We're gonna be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life. I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward Pass out the communion emblems. Worship team, you can come forward and get set in this place. When we take communion, we are acknowledging that Jesus' body was broken so that ours might be whole, that by his stripes we are healed. We also acknowledge that the shed blood of Jesus is what cleanses us of our sin. It redeems us from the curse of death. It's what promises us eternal life in Christ Jesus. But this isn't just a time for us to acknowledge, but it's a time to remember. It's a time to celebrate. And it's something that we as a church can never participate in in a casual manner. Because the Bible does offer us instructions about how to do this in a way that honors God. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29. You hear it every month here. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning 
the Lord's body. The scripture tells us not to participate in communion in an unworthy manner. This means that if anybody does so without recognizing Jesus as Lord and Savior, that person brings judgment upon themselves. That person now becomes guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So that's why the scripture tells us to examine ourselves. That means to look deep into our hearts and to see if there's anything in there that needs to be corrected. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? If so, you need to confess it before the Lord. Do you have a bad attitude towards the things of God all of a sudden? You find yourself not walking as a child of God. You need to clear that up. You can be reconciled to the Lord this morning. You need to clear things between you and the Lord before you ever partake in communion so that you can do it in a worthy manner. And if you are here today and you are someone who has never received the Lord, Jesus as Lord and Savior, or maybe you are watching us online, you can do so right now. Some people say this is not a time to talk about salvation. I don't understand it. I don't think there's a better time to talk about salvation in Christ than during this time of celebration that we have called communion. You can be reconciled with the Lord this morning because when we take communion, before we take communion, we are going to have a time of silent prayer. And if you are someone who has never accepted Jesus into your life, you, the Bible says all you have to say, it says if you will confess the Lord in your, with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and, and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. The confession part is your prayer. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you are the only way to God the Father. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Become my Lord. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And if every one of us in this place this morning would reach out to God during this sacred time, then we could all participate in communion together in a worthy way. None of us drinking judgment upon ourselves, as the scripture says. So during this time of silent prayer, I want everyone in this place to pray to God in your own way and in your own words. Let's bow our heads in quiet prayer and meditation to God. Father, you've heard our words. More importantly, you've read our hearts. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Pray that the joy of what you have done in us will be seen outwardly by others and will compel us to share your goodness with our friends and our families. Now, like you, Lord, we ask that you bless these communion emblems that we are about to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and later arrested to be crucified, he had one final meal with his disciples and Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. And the breaking of the bread was representative of his body, which would soon be broken. The Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And it goes on to say that by his stripes, we are healed. 
So when he breaks the bread, he gives a piece to each one of his disciples and he says, this is my body, which is broken. Whenever you do this, whenever you participate in this together, do so in remembrance of me. So as you eat this bread this morning, I want you to be reminded of the bruised and battered body of Jesus that was sacrificed for you and the stripes that he bore are for your healing. You may eat the bread. Then he took the cup and the cup represented his blood that would soon be shed. It's the blood that would atone for all the sins of the world. Every sin ever committed from the beginning of time until the end would atone for the sins of all. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And as often as you do this, he said, remember me when you do so. So when you drink this juice, I want you to be reminded of the precious blood of our Savior that poured out of his body for the forgiveness of your and my sin. You may drink the juice. Would you please stand with us as we sing? And oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. blessing to be back with you today. Thank you. Thank you for being so kind to me and my family over the time we've been here. Thank you for allowing that sabbatical and watch out as we move forward as a church. There's one more thing I need to share with you before we close. Don't worry, it'll only be another hour. It's not a problem. Believe it or not, it's time to start talking about our annual business meeting, which doesn't happen until March, but according to our bylaws, I need to be talking about it now, specifically with regard to board membership elections. 
If you have considered serving on the board of our church, now is the time to begin making this a matter of prayer, seeking God to see if this is something he would want you to do. And just to help you along, one basic requirement is that you have to, to serve on the board as you must be a tithe paying member of High Point Assembly and have been doing so for at least a year and be in good standing. We have a nominating committee that is established every year. And if you want to nominate yourself or someone, and before you nominate someone, go to them and make sure they want to be nominated. You need to go directly to one of the, com the committee members. Those committee members are Dave Ledford, the vice chairman of our board, who is out of town today. Rich Davidson, who I believe is also out of town today, so I can't have them wave to you so you know what they look like. Uh, myself, uh, Judy Robinson. I know Judy's here. Judy, wave at me. Where are you? Did she, she left too? Okay. She's one of those people who leaves before the closing prayer, apparently. I don't know. That was bad. I'm sorry. Sorry, Judy. I love you. Ed Hogan. I don't think Ed's here today either. And that's something that's a, I struck out. But anyway, we have a committee. Just ask around. We'll direct you to the right person. Uh, there's a whole process that goes into this. You're saying, why now, March? A lot of stuff goes on. Uh, interviews, different things like that. But I need to let you know that. So keep that in mind. Can we close in prayer? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Thank you for the promise of eternity in the presence of our mighty God. Thank you for your blessed spirit that guides and directs us and strengthens us each and every day and helps us deal with our weariness and our struggles that we all go through in this life. Mostly, we thank you for your love that compels us to, to serve you and to serve others. Thank you for your many blessings that you've bestowed upon High Point Assembly and the people within this church. I thank you for my church family. I ask your blessings, your continued blessings upon them and their families. I ask as we go our separate ways today that we would be hands and feet of Jesus, that we would speak conversations that build people up and we would live our lives in such a way that people would be compelled to find out what it is that is different about us and then we would share your goodness with them. Thank you for this time together. I pray you'll give us all a divine appointment this week to cross our paths with someone that we have an opportunity to share your goodness with. Until then, Father, help us to walk in love, help us to walk in strength and do the things that you've called us to do and to do them with excellence as unto you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here.